Hey everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Podcast, episode 53. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my guest co-host today, Richie Cruz. On today's show, Richie and I talk about winter work and my new radio show. This is a replay of the You Call This Archaeology Podcast. Find it live occasionally, sometimes on facebook.com forward slash arcpodnet. Let's dig a little deeper. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to episode 51 if you call this archaeology one more time. All right. Nothing but professionals here. Yeah. Well, at least, so, you know, we look professional. I mean, right. this, this thing looks really cool. It's all lit up. It is. I don't think you can see it in the feed, though. You can't. Yeah, it's blocked by computers. <laughs> so what do you got going on that you want to talk about? I've got a few things on my list for sure. Oh, my God. Well, I was, I want to say I was enjoying my unemployment, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it was all right. But, um, oh, I did have something else to talk about after saying I, you know, don't enjoy my unemployment. Basically, I was like very anxious about money, like yeah. a lot of people are, because I didn't save as much as I should have this field season. It was very disjointed. Well, I'm looking at that watch over there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only 25 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, it can be tough to save money. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to you gotta pay the bills. You got to live. You got to do things. And trying to put away enough is, is never enough. Especially when it's such a disjointed field season. This field season was very disjointed. Yeah. I think, not including next week when I head back out, you know, I guess I can't really count that since I just, it's so close to the end of the year, I may as well count it as next year. Yeah, yeah. But I had about three months worth of work. Okay. Total? Maybe three and a half? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, no. Four months. Mm-hmm. So that's way less than your average field tech. Yeah. That's like, I mean, your average, your average field season is like, what, nine months? Eight months? Depends on where you're at, but yeah. 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 So I feel like the fact that I had anything in savings was a miracle. Right. You know, a lot of people end up working uh, working year round, really. Uh, it's It just depends on where they're at and what they want to do and how much they want to move. When my wife were, and I were fully doing shovel bumming, yeah. you know, working all over the place, we would, uh, we, we never had a winter off. We really? always had something to do. Yeah. Whether it was work on some other project, go somewhere. Um, sometimes we got in a lab, you know, something like mm. that, but we always had, uh, for four or five years that we were both doing shovel bombing, uh, together, we always had work. So, Oh, well, I was busy trying to get myself a job sort of, Yeah, you know, for people who don't realize it, obviously there's the happy archaeology fun time YouTube channel. And then there's the APN Facebook page or the APN page on it. And then I am busy right now working on the website. Mm-hmm. I wasn't so busy working on it before because I thought I had more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and you don't have more time because now you've got some work, right? Yeah, unexpectedly. Yeah, unexpectedly. I mean, you're 
you're one of those ones that's always kind of crushing it and and hustling and trying to figure out yeah what's my next thing. You're not like sitting back and you know and resting, even though it's December. You're actively putting out resumes. And more importantly, I'm also buying gear, like yeah. winter gear. Oh, that's one of the reasons, my God, my schedule next week's going to be so crazy. Like, yeah. I can't even, like, basically, for people, I know it's going to be a little disjointed, but basically, I head down to training Wednesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Friday, I drive back to Reno to pick up some gear I had dropped off to be repaired. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, like, I didn't think I was going to need it. So I'm like, well, shit, you know, I've got time. There's no hurry. Yeah. But now, of course, it's a hurry, but I can't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Chuck says he's uh, um, planning next summer's survey work on his forest. He must work for the uh, U.S. Forest Service somewhere. Neat. So he's planning on planning the survey work because they've always got they've always got something to survey on Forest Service land. Oh yeah, because it's so much. So you got to you got to plan out all that and how it's going to go. Yeah, I also got to brush yeah. up my California archaeology again. Yeah, so you're going to be working out there. I got a question for you. Um, yeah. You know, obviously we can't go into really a lot of detail on Richie's work because that's how CRM is, but. One thing you did tell me was it's the kind of job where uh, you might be able to stay out there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? Uh, let, let's let's play the long game on this. Let's say in three, four months, you're still working out there Monday through Friday. Yeah. How does you living in Reno get affected by that? Would it you d- move? No. No? You'd stay in Reno? I worked a whole field season in Minnesota. I didn't move out there. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew that was temporary. No, I knew it was the whole field season. You knew it was the whole field season, but it sounds like this job that you've got now. I mean, what if you work there for a couple of years? Oh, that's not going to happen. Doesn't, you don't think so? No, I already got plans. No. Okay. So you don't want to work there for a few years? Well, not really. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, because like, um, like I remember last winter, because now I'm editing all the episodes, but basically I am still serious about getting in the marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically- You have an exit strategy. Yeah. So yeah. I figure I have a money savings goal mm-hmm. and then I have a jobs goal. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, I'm not just going to quit and like float. I'm like, yep. I want to make sure I have a, um, you know, a job, a solid job waiting for me here in Reno, which is actually getting easier. There's like, I've been seeing more jobs pop up on LinkedIn and um, Glassdoor. Yeah. In terms of marketing. Yeah, nice. Which is the reason why, you know, I was talking about my website earlier. Yep. I forgot if I start stopped, you know, completed the whole thought there, but basically, I've just been like <laughs> planning out the whole website. I was even like at a bar last night, like writing out pages. Mm-hmm. So I realized, man. I guess I do kind of need an about page. <laughs> you really do. Yeah. And so I was writing that yeah. up and then I realized, man, I got to write all this stuff out because I got all the, I got the um, outline of what the pages are going to be mm-hmm. and what's going to be on them. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting. Like last night I was thinking about the possibilities of this website. Yeah. Cause um, I want it to be like your one stop toolbox for like, if you're just getting into the job of archeology span making mm-hmm. and you know, that way you can make an informed decision about whether this is a job for you. If you find out this is a job for you, you can um, brush up on your skills and um, find a job. Nice. Yeah. Not that I'm going to set up a, like a competing like, you know, arc field work or something. I'm actually just going to have pages talking about those, about the various job boards and links to them. Well, that's good. You know, having an aggravator, uh, aggravator, aggregator of different things. Yeah. Um, even then, I don't think... <clears throat> I don't think honestly there there can be too I, I archaeology hasn't reached the point where there could be too much competition. I mean you could be doing um you could be doing training, you could be yeah. doing, you know, you could be listing jobs, you could be doing whatever you wanted. You could yeah. be doing podcasts about archaeology. I mean it doesn't yeah. matter. We don't have enough in the field right now to really worry about competition stealing no. other people's thunder. No. You know, there's just not enough resources. So the more people, the more I think it's difficult to increase SEO if you don't know what you're doing. And a lot yeah. of people don't know how to do that. So one of the ways we can increase SEO naturally is create more pages. Yeah. And that way, when somebody searches, I want to be an archaeologist, you know, yours is one of the sites that'll pop up. And I have more knowledge. Apparently, I have more knowledge than either the job boards that, you know, we use. Because, <laughs> like, literally, you type in archaeology jobs into Google and neither um, Shovel Bums or Archaeology Fieldwork comes up. Well, they're relying on a lot of uh, word, word of mouth. mouth. Yeah. Like yeah. the APN comes up more, you know, much sooner than that. Yeah. Well, we focus on <laughs> SEO because we're focused around the public and yeah. and getting in people information. But uh, chances are, if you get your first job in archaeology, by then you know about shovel bumps and you know about hopefully. archaeology field work. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, I want to comment. Uh, Lori Wallace Fisher joined us. Um, she said she's using. I posed a question before the uh, the signal died and we had to restart it. 
that said, uh, what are you doing for the winter? Are you couch surfing? Are you traveling? Are you working? What are you doing? Yeah. And uh, she says she's working on the, uh, she's using the time to see her children after being gone for eight months. That's tough. Whoa. Yeah, that's tough when you're a parent. Um, when you're a parent and or married or with somebody, yeah. it, it's difficult to uh, to see family while you're doing the field season. Yeah. So that's, that's really hard. Oh um, man, that's the reason why I want. I already have an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also the reason why I want to get this website at least um, structured and running. Right. Because um, I, as far as I understand it, I might be wrong. Yeah. But as far as I understand it, everything's browser based. Once you get all the plugins and WordPress okay. installed, I might be wrong. Yeah. You know, so well, I have access to a real computer this weekend. I got to do that, and then you know. And then that effectively is my resume, mm-hmm. you know, my resume, my marketing resume. That's the way I well, look at it. And I, I've created a page on, uh, so for anybody with a website, I'd recommend you do this, but uh, I've got a page on my DigTech website that yeah. is linked from the Archaeology Podcast oh. Network and Team Black and yeah. Pro Podcast Now. Yeah. Um, it's a media page yeah. and it's just digtech.com forward slash media. Yeah. And I set that up because of media contacts, um, just in case, uh, cause, and it has been used a few times when somebody wants to talk to me about something or whatever, they'll go there. And I've got uh, basically um, my bio up there and I've got all the video and podcasts I've been in on other people's shows so they can see yeah. me on there and uh, and just any important links or anything like that, contact information, things like that. Not really a resume per se, yeah. but more of a media resume. But along the same lines, you can create something so you can easily tell somebody and you can put it on a business card. You'd be like, you know, your domain forward slash yeah. CV yeah. forward and, slash resume. And a lot of these places that I've been looking at marketing jobs, they like have a spot specifically for your website. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. by the way, if you type in archaeology jobs into YouTube, that um that podcast you did, Engineer Truth comes up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that and this English lady. Yeah. You know. Because I originally had recorded an episode. It's on my phone. I was going to edit it. Mm-hmm. But then after watching her um, talking about about archaeology jobs, I realized I need um, need to restructure it slightly. <laughs> well, because I watched that and then I watched someone, because I was originally looking about maybe doing Uber Eats or something during the winter. Yeah. And like I found a YouTube video that was very interesting. Things I wish I'd known before I got, before I joined <laughs> Uber. And I was watching her video. I was thinking, man, that's actually really handy. Handier mm-hmm. than what I had recorded. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Um, Lori says she's also traveling with family. So that's cool, too. Well, it's uh, almost Christmas. I know. And then Lauren Huddleston joined. Yeah. Um, Lauren is a longtime friend of ours, him and his yeah. wife, Jess. Uh, so I'm sure they're spending some time with family this this week. They've got kids and uh, enjoying that. So, um, hell, even I'm going out of town on uh, 21st, heading out to Charlotte, North Carolina for a week. Oh. Yeah. Oh God, that's yeah, been in the news a lot lately because of that um that Republican um, vote wrangling. Oh thing. yeah, yeah, I heard about that. They're probably going to lose that that uh, GOP seat because of that. No, they're not. Well, that's that's the last report I saw this morning. They're not. Yeah, yeah. they're not. They're going to rig it again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love the fact that they. Um, I I mean, I don't want to talk about politics necessarily since this is about archaeology, sure. but I do want to say that. Republicans keep screaming, oh, the liberal Democrats and the black people mm-hmm. and the brown people and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, the only people who ever get or are going to be convicted of it are Republican operatives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. Yay. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so have you had any bites on any of the other uh, uh, job seeking stuff you've done? I mean, it is wintertime. It wouldn't surprise me if nobody's like saying, you know, eager to hire somebody. Oh, the crazy part is that, you know. It's been what, three? No, yeah, it's been three weeks mm-hmm. since um since the end of my last project. And that last, the first week, I wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. I just needed to recharge. And then, <laughs> see, the second week, I was basically um setting up the job. You know, setting up the interviews and stuff for the job I just got. Yeah. And then this week was the first time I had sent out a regular person resume, uh-huh. a regular person job, like yeah. a marketing job. But um, you know, I didn't get that one. Yeah. Which isn't a surprise. I mean. Statistically, that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, and we're in a we're in a time when uh, I feel like that market. Well, I keep hearing from people here at the Reno Collective that that there's a lot of people hiring for like social media and marketing yeah. because there's a lot more companies that are recognizing that need. Yeah. That being said, there's also a lot more people recognizing the fact that that's a place where they can get a job. Yeah, which is so, why. Yeah, so they're inundating the market with people and that yeah. that are qualified to do it yes i want to be like a step above before i really get back into it yeah for sure yeah 
Oh, by the way, I did discover something this week. Mm. I want to say something to the Android people. <laughs> you know, um, one thing I really enjoy about um about Google Calendar is that they have a little widget, right? That shows like you can show like the week or the day or the month mm-hmm. or whatever. And on, you know, the widget, it displays a little um, emoji. So like, you know, like for my interviews, it just had a little briefcase. Ah. And then for my dentist appointment, I had a little doctor's mask. Nice. But the weird part is, is the fact that um, it doesn't do it on the desktop version. Just on the mobile emoji? Mobile yeah. version? Yeah. It's really handy though. It's like, yeah. man, that really should come to um that really should come to the desktop because it's really yeah. handy for understanding your week. Wow. Yeah. It's like yeah. really handy. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna show the calendar to them. Yeah, I won't even be able to see it. And <laughs> it's, it's your calendar. That too. But see? So yeah. like the little computer screens are where I'm supposed to be um doing the APN social media stuff. Nice. You know. Supposed to be. <laughs> Get on your job, Richie. Your volunteer job. Nobody's asking you to do or pay for it. <laughs> I know. Um, I just realized we're sitting on the wrong side of this graphic. We are? Yeah, because uh, your your image is on the left and mine is on the right. And we're not, we're sitting the opposite in the, in the, in the overlay. <laughs> has it always been that way? It has always been that way. I've just never noticed it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, anyway, so- yeah. You know, moving along here, um, I think uh, I think it's interesting starting to talk to people. I'm, I'm always interested every year on how people are doing, how people are handling the winter. Yeah. Uh, because there's still a book I want to write. <clears throat> if I ever have time to sit down and actually do it, it's the kind of thing where if I ever write a book again, yeah, it was too it was too hard to actually write that while I was doing something else. My last book that I wrote, I was like, it was just you know once you. Once you actually approach somebody yeah. and let them know that you're writing a book like a publisher, now the pressure's on. Yeah. Now they're like, okay, get it done, right? Like, yeah. we need this, we need this, we need this. And and I feel like uh, I feel like when I write it, not to get off on a tangent about just writing books, but I just want to sit down and have, have the time to write it. Like, I want to take a month off and just do it. I've been thinking really? about it so much and I've got some stuff outlined that I just want to do it. But the book is, and this is why I'm thinking about winter. Yeah. And I've, I've talked about this before. You've yeah. probably talked to you about it, but it's basically a, a year long, like each, each book, you know, there'd be 12 chapters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Starting in January. Yeah. And it's basically a year's worth of the career of an archeologist and it's an analog for your entire career, but it's like how, how to structure your year. And I really feel like, I still feel like we don't take enough advantage of the fact that we have a job that is seasonal. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I don't think we should see it as uh, totally a bad thing. Now, obviously people like Lori have children, you know, you've got a lot of other expenses to worry about yeah. and, and it can be difficult to, um, to plan to have a lot of time off. Right. Yeah. But for people that are single, people that like yourself who are single and, yeah. you know, young, and I mean, you, you probably don't have a ton of bills. You don't have like a crazy car payment or a mortgage or anything like that. Not you know, yet. Not yet. You've you've got some things, but you don't have some of the big ticket items that you yeah. get, you know, at some point in your life. And uh it's um Yeah. It's just like focusing on starting starting in like March when you're when the field season is starting to kick in. Yeah. And saying, Listen, this is my goal for next winter. In sec instead, people don't think of the winter until winter. Until Snow's on the ground and they're like, now what am I going to do? Well, There's some no people, work. Some well, people. some people, but most people I would say, yeah, you know, and they don't think about it, but I would like to see people in March say, listen, if I want to do this for December, January, and February, let's just say those are probably the worst months for field work. Yeah. December, January, and February. If I want to be gone, if I want to be, you know, traveling, if I want to be, you know, staying with family part of that or yeah. doing something, whatever I'm going to do, but then I also have my bills to pay. Yeah. What is that going to cost? And is it possible for me to save that much money over the next nine months? I Maybe. think in most cases, the answer is probably yes. If you have a goal, when you tell somebody just to save money, that's such a nebulous thing. It's like, okay, save money for what? I mean, retirement, but that's so far off. Most people can't even conceive of it, right? So yeah. save money for what? But if I say, hey, I can live pretty comfortably on $10,000 for four months. Yeah. You know, with a little bit left in reserve to get me into the start of the field season. Well, especially if you have unemployment. Especially if you have unemployment, you know, take a little bit money. If you need $10,000, you need to save at least $1,000 a month. And 10000 is probably a high number for three months, let's be honest. It is. But I'm just using it because it's an easy number. But if yeah. you got to save $1,000 a month, now that's a lot of money to save every month. But 
when you're if you're working consistently and yeah. you're getting per diem, you're getting you you're probably getting over two thousand dollars a month in per diem. There are ways that you can, if you really want to achieve those goals over the winter, there's sacrifices you can make during the field season, and I think it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like um, people always complaining about their student loans. Yeah, but I ran into a dude who used his per diem over I think I think it was just one field season. Yeah, he paid off his entire school loan or something, yeah. or um. Well, it can't be one year because that would be because he had fifty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. So it must have been two years. But um, you know, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. But you know, he literally just took all his per diem and just just put it into that. Yep. You know, and yet there are people like, oh my god, I have so many student loan debts and blah blah. blah. Well, now he's got that four or five hundred bucks a month. He's not paying student loan payments <clears throat> on that he can do something else with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, well, let's. I am repackaging this, and I'm going to drop it on the Archaeology Show podcast, and I'm going to tell you why uh, after this break. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now that the ad is done, can we talk about Collector? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's talk about Collector. Because, you know, I mean, obviously I have to get used to it, but I mean, so it's like Esri's program, right? Yeah, so uh, Richie's taking a job that uh, we talked about earlier, and they're using, they're using Collector on there. It's ArcGIS Collector. Mm. And it's basically uh, an Esri, and Esri is the JS program most people yeah. know. And uh, Collector is an application that I've only used it very briefly, so I really don't know a lot about it. I know what it's capable of because I I talk to a lot yeah. of people that use it. Oh, let me look it up. Yeah, um, basically oh. it's a it's a data collection application that's free from Esri um, because they know that really to use Collector you need to upload all the data to Esri, so that's where they're making yeah. all their money. But uh, I'm not even sure if you can really adequately use Collector uh, for free without having Esri. I'm actually not sure about that at all. That being said, uh, it's for you can create different kinds of forms on there. So in that, in that sense, it's similar to WildNote and other programs. Uh, you can collect data. You can collect spatial data, from what I understand. You can do points, lines, and polylines, oh. um, I believe, and then export those data to Esri and have shapefiles created out of it. And then your, your written data is joined in with your spatial data. But the problem with Collector is it really should be focused on as a spatial data collection program. Anything that's not strictly spatial data, like artifact descriptions, feature descriptions, um, site descriptions, environmental stuff, you can't do anything with it, right? You can't produce forms out of Collector. Now, you, if you're savvy enough, you can produce, say, California DPR forms and stuff like that. It's really difficult, but you can produce them based on uh, the information that comes out of Collector, but it's a multi-step process that you have to put together yourself. They don't have something built in where you can put together basically a custom form on the backside. Plus, it's probably just as complicated as any of their other programs that they did. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, that that's why with WildNote, we're doing that for you. Uh. you know, we have the California DPR forms, and they just happen. They just work. So, um, oh, kind of Almost like Apple, the way Apple used to be. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so yeah, that's collector. Richie's got on the screen there, and uh, it doesn't show you a lot about what it does. <laughs> no, and that's another thing. The program is not very intuitive either, you know. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people use it because, like I said, they're getting a really good marketing because they're already using Esri. So the GIS department's like, "Hey, Esri sends us these emails about collector all the time. Let's try it out." You know, and and I have to applaud people for using collector right off the bat because that tells me that they're. They have an initiative to to really see how they can be more efficient and sustainable, and and really be more mm. um, more marketable marketable and really honestly just better for the planet. So um, they can do those sorts of things, and 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 it's really awesome. I just think it's time now that you've cut your teeth on Collector. Yeah. Now look at something that's a little more robust, a little more designed for archaeology and environmental work, biology, wetlands, stuff like that, and uh, and and has some customization options as well. Collector, you can throw a ton of money at Esri and they're not going to build custom exports for you. It's just not their job. It's not what they're doing. And if they did have agency forms in there, they're probably not staying on top of it like we are. So, you know, we're paying attention to the changes 
that come down and we, you know, we're, we're in communication with all those people. So interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's collector. I think you're going to like it initially from the data inside. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the data outside at your, at your level. When you're a field technician in the field, yeah. collector is not a bad application. You're collecting information on your phone. Unless they're giving you a device, you're just using your phone and Maybe. it's nice. It's handy. It's, 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 seamless yeah it's just on the management and export side it's total and complete junk it's inefficient interesting it's not something we should be using so there's better options out there interesting yeah man i wish you know i wish i could sit down with a um, gi specialist and like um have them go through it with me well here's the problem with digital archaeology yeah and companies and uh crm firms and environmental firms is and I'm going to make a lot of generalizations here, and please chime in if you don't think I'm telling the truth. Yeah. But uh, typically at a company, you'll find that your average archaeologist is not very tech savvy. No. They rely on specialists. They rely on other people to say, hey, come do this technology for me. <laughs> you know, come come bring your GPR and do your thing. I, <laughs> I understand what I can get out of it, but I don't know how to do it, right? Like, that's yeah. their attitude. And, you know... I mean, it's not just a money thing either. Like a lot of archaeologists don't even have like a phone that's was made in the last like two or three years, right? I mm-hmm. mean, they just they just don't care about that kind of stuff. It's not like they don't want to; they just don't care. So the ones that do care about technology yeah. are usually in the GIS department because it's already a highly technical field. Yeah, you know, you have to have some knowledge of some deep knowledge of your computer, how to work it, maybe some scripting and Python and stuff like that yeah. to really understand how to fully use GIS. Yeah. And therefore, those are the people that are typically pr- pushing the the push to digital archaeology because mm. they see this stuff coming through. So it's no surprise. Yeah, but they're also the low man on a totem pole usually in the office. Well, it just depends. <laughs> it just it depends on the size of the office. The GIS department, the mapping department could be a big department. Mm. Or it could be a field tech that just learned how to do GIS and nobody else wants to do it. You know? Either way. Either way. Yeah. So... <laughs> Either way, my point is, it's usually somebody from the GIS department that is coming up with these solutions, and of course, they're going to use solutions that they're being pushed by their, um, by their marketers and and people that they work with, and that's why I'm not surprised that Collector is kind of the dominant application for collecting field data. Well, it's like the principal business. If you're the first person, if you're the first name they think of, then you've already won at least half the battle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and this is why you know when you tell your company, um, like when I tell the people holding the purse strings at WildNote. You know, they're they're going to inevitably say because they don't know anything about what we're doing. You know, yeah. why should you go to this conference? You know, why should you go to this conference here or that conference there? And I'm like, listen, even if we don't have an audience there right now, they need to see us. Yeah, they need to know we exist. Yeah, and we might not get any business at all from that <clears throat> conference right away. But in a year, when we're still around, and they're like, holy crap, we need to go digital, and they see that pen or that you know thing yeah. they got from us at a conference and we're like oh now it's time for me to check out this wild note thing yeah. you know i mean i've done that time and time again uh like a good example that i can think of is direct ams you know i've never used direct ams um, oh those dudes yeah and and beta analytic beta analytic is another one so if you yeah. think radiocarbon dating you typically think beta analytic because beta analytic is at every freaking conference more importantly they always give out lanyards they do they give out good swag yeah. Well, now Direct AMS is a competitor for Beta Analytic, and they are going to every single conference. Yeah, but where and, are their um, where's their swag? <laughs> well, they have swag. <laughs> they do. They have keychains, and they had coffee mugs. I've got one up in my office. Yeah, yeah and uh, they are just they came on the scene, and now if I think, hey, I need to have some some stuff done, uh, I know that there's a couple options out there, and I can get some different prices. And I know one thing. Beta Analytic is a huge company, right? They're really big. They do a lot of business. And Direct AMS, while a competitor, is not quite as big, right? So uh. my guess is if they want to win my business, Direct AMS is probably cheaper. You really? know, they're probably more affordable for me to go get a radiocarbon date than Beta Analytic because Beta Analytic has a line out the door of people wanting samples and they can probably charge whatever the heck they want to charge. Oh, the most important part to me is where is the um, Wild Note swag? Like, why don't I have a Wild Note lanyard? Well, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> you'll, you'll get it soon enough. Or, you know? or, hell, where's the Wild Note um, measuring tape? You want a Wild Note t-shirt? I already got one. You have a Wild Note t-shirt? Yeah. Did I give you one of those? No. Oh. Um, What's her name? Gave it to me. Nancy did? Yeah. Nice. You know, when we were in- um, Oh, in uh, California. Yeah, we were in San Diego. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, that is some pretty good swag right there. Wild wow, no t-shirt. Come on. Come on. It's pretty good. Now, we're coming up with some other stuff. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> and you will be the first to know. Trust me, Richie. Oh, my yeah. God. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this, but I remember when we were working for a company that went bust in this town down the street. Yeah. Remember they had that bowl full of like super old expired chapstick? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I think I still had one of those when I moved a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh my God. Remember those environmentally friendly um, like wood pens they were trying to give out? Oh. <laughs> do, ones- you, do you remember the, um, the post-it note tape measure level combo? They gave those out. It was like this little thing. Yeah, it had their group had their logo on it. Just got one from my real estate agent. Ah, with their logo on it. Same Me? thing. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I they're pretty cool. You know, I appreciated it from her actually because we used it when we were taking measurements in our new house that we're getting. Um, yeah. But when that company we worked for handed out, I'm like, what a gross misuse of funds. Like this thing is ridiculous. You know. I mean, I guess it's kind of cool, but. I don't know. Wait, is big a misuse of funds as um really expired chapstick? Uh, no, that's you know that's another level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, who's Martin Archaeology? Martin Archaeology. Uh, Luke Coretta is one of the employees at Martin Archaeology. Um, I don't know her first name, but Ms. Morton is the head of Martin Archaeology, huh. and. Uh, they're out of New York. Um, oh, really? Upstate New York, yeah. You can see this picture he's got on the screen here is from Utica, the one that you had on the screen before. Oh, and um, that one? Uh, well, you're you're behind on my screen, so um, either way. Yeah? The, uh, yeah, they do. They're a small CRM firm, and they do a lot of work up in upstate New York in the surrounding area. Mm. So, And he's, a, um, he's using WildNote to do all of it. Yeah, shovel testing and uh, photo management and stuff like that. It's too bad you can't push the fact that this is really handy for a one man or like a um, super small operations. Oh, think hey, about it. I called uh, I called somebody who signed up for WildNote um, yeah. just the other day. Turns out they run a small firm, big podcast fan, so they know all yeah. about what we're doing oh, here. Oh, keep talking. Yeah. Um, I, I hired them and uh, you're seeing Richie's chest right now. That's great. Uh, yeah. So I hired, I, I talked to them and he'd already yeah. heard about WildNote. Now he's up in Canada and they're pretty much in the dead of winter. So yeah. I don't think he's going to be getting a, a license anytime soon, but when the field season comes around, I talked to him about the whole thing and he's running a, it's just him usually, or if he needs a couple of people, he hires a couple of people, yeah. but they do small stuff, small surveys, small excavations. And, uh, he was sold, you know, it's totally, it's totally designed for somebody like that to save a ton of money yeah, and a ton of time. So uh, well, the I, whole the whole last twenty minutes has turned into an ad for WildNote, but that's okay. Well, it's just I remember when you were working for that um company, like you know they kept every they kept all the field techs employees in the winter by um transcribing <laughs> um records. Yeah, yeah, you know, which isn't the most efficient use of um. Which also I've never understood how that's possible from a report standpoint because you got to turn your report in within a certain period of time. I know if you got a private client, you might be able to. You know, in fact, that's probably how they did it. If you have a private client and not a BLM client or a, an agency client, then you probably can be like, here's your management summary. You know, we know what we did. We uh. know what we found out there. And we're now going to take our time and keep building you, but we're going to take our time to finish up the report on the site records. In that case, you could probably stack up your 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 paperwork for the winner. Yeah, know? but then it's like a Ponzi scheme where it's like, well, how much money is left in this budget? How much money is left in that I budget? I know. I know. That's why you should go digital the whole time. So, um, all right. So let's take, uh, let's take one more fake break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah. You get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People are done reading about Luke. Are they? I think so. Um, so I know one of the things I want to get to before in this last segment before we're done yeah. is uh, I had the first episode of my radio show yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to put down here in the comments, and I think if you're watching this on Facebook, you can still see this. Um, oh, um, what's the name of the... KNVC.org. KNVC. 
So check that out um, because they have a uh, uh, they have a listen live link, and I think it's listen dash live is just the the website after kvc.org. But anyway, it was great. Um, I prepared a bunch of material. I didn't have a guest. I prepared. I planned on this first one to just basically talk about myself a lot for the first part to sort of establish who I am and why I should be doing this show. Yeah. And some of the things that I've done and and the podcast and just all kinds of different stuff. And then uh, um, and then I did actually have a few calls. They were all people I know, and I appreciate that they called. It oh, was really? really great because they didn't just call and say, hey, you're doing a good job, but they called with really good questions. Uh. Yeah, it was amazing. And it's exactly what I want. So, um, and I think they were all listening on the web because none of them were in uh, Carson City, Nevada. If you're in Carson City, Nevada, you can listen on 95.1 FM. But if you're not, <laughs> you got to go to the website. Uh, their antenna doesn't even reach up to Reno. There's another station that's 95.1 in Reno and it overpowers them. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh. anyway, it was a really good, fun time. I was planning on releasing that in the time slot that this is releasing on the archaeology show. Yeah. Um, as episode 94 or something like that. But they'd had a power failure that morning because um, they had some pretty bad weather down there the other day. Yeah. And they had a power failure that morning. Nobody was there because they were playing recorded content. And oh. it was the radio station was off the air for about an hour and a half. So about a half an hour before I got there, somebody else got there and had just started spinning everything back up and then adding files to the to the program so they weren't off the air anymore. And... uh uh. A, a program they call the skimmer is the thing that like imagine a uh, security system, a digital security system at a store or something like that. Yeah. They usually record back like 30 days and then it starts overriding 30 days. Huh. Well, the skimmer records everything hour by hour and then uh, it will, it will start overriding itself after a certain period of time. It's like a couple of weeks or something like that. So you can yeah. go back and take the recording of your show calls and everything, the on air signal <laughs> and have it. Yeah. Well, they hadn't started the skimmer yet. They forgot. So my very first show, um, the guy, Brian, who runs the station, he called it my baby picture, which is your very first show on the air, calls him your baby picture, was not recorded by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so it's gone. It's gone forever, uh, which is okay, uh, because I'm going to probably do another kind of first show in January when I go live again. Yeah. Um, and oh, wait, did you do the pitch a program? I did. Yeah, and if you click on pitch a program for them, that's how I got in touch with Brian, the station manager, and we started talking, and he liked the idea, and I went down a couple sessions over the last couple months and learned how to work the equipment, and uh, and then started the show. Uh, so every Friday from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, yeah, you can tune in to knvc.org forward slash, I think it's listen dash live, but you can find it right on the website there, and, uh, and go from there. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, and you can call in. There's a phone number, too. And I don't remember what the phone number is, but we say it live on the air. Oh, so, you do? Yeah, I'm not going to say it now because nobody's going to write it down. But um, <laughs> And I don't remember it. But if you call in, um, I think it's 775-515-4141. But anyway, we'll say that on the air. And you can call in and ask a question. Mm. And we're also trying to keep an eye on social media. Really, I need someone to come down there or monitor remotely my social media in case anybody sends a message. Because yeah. it's really hard for me to pay attention to that while I'm doing mm. the show. Really hard because with a podcast, I can just pause and look at something, but you can't do that on radio. Why not? Because you don't want dead air. You know, I made a couple mistakes, not mistakes, but times where I had to be like, I got distracted by something that was happening in the room and I'm like, uh, my train of thought's been totally destroyed. <laughs> but I also have no problem just saying that on the air and calling it out. I'm not like nervous or anything when it comes to that stuff. Huh. I just, I'm just like, oh, well I'm new. So if I make any mistakes, sorry, <laughs> I'll fix it. You know, whatever. I'll try not to go off the air. I'll try not to do anything stupid, but yeah. I might do that. You know, I said that right off the bat. And there was a couple times I had a bunch of notes. I wasn't reading a script. I just had bullet points. I had a whole list of things yeah. I wanted to talk about in the order I wanted to talk about them in. And sometimes I lose my place or I'd get off on a tangent or something like that. So, but, um, wait, what did you, um, so what were the calls about? So I had three calls. Um, one of them was, uh, uh, he was talking about history in Nevada and how long people had been here. Curious about how long people have been in Nevada. Uh, and I and I basically answered, well, the evidence points to, you know, 14 to 15,000 years ago. Yeah. But when you look at something like that and you find a you find a group of people and evidence that they were living here for, you know, a long time, uh, you know, a, a well-established sort yeah. of living environment that's 14,000 years old. You have to imagine they didn't just fly here from Siberia, right? Why not? 
Because <laughs> they couldn't. <laughs> it probably took them a thousand years to get down from Siberia. And you can't assume that you're finding them on day one in the Great Basin. More importantly, didn't they have to hurry since the Earth is only like 6,000 years old? I know. So they must have just been hanging out for a while waiting for the Earth to be born before they got here. But So no, that's the whole point I was trying to make is, you know, when you find something in archaeology, and this is the point I used to make on that question, was anytime I find something... yeah. I assume that I'm finding an average representation of life related to that thing. Yeah. Because the fact the the idea of us <clears throat> finding something unique, us finding an outlier, of us finding something that was just as one off that nobody's ever seen before is so unlikely. It's just unlikely because you know, there's only a handful of those and we're looking for literally a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes not literally, but um and so when I find something I, I assume it's the average. So when we find a cave with remnants of, of human activity that's 14,000 years old, I have to assume that that's the norm for 14,000 years ago. Yeah. And I have to assume that they have been established. They've been there for a little while. You know, maybe they're in the area uh, and, and they moved down from somewhere else, but they must have been on this continent for a really long time before that was established. So when I say 14 mm-hmm. to 15,000 years ago, people have been in Nevada. I put an asterisk on that and I say, that's the evidence we have. It could be 17, 18, 19, 20,000 years. We that's have no true. idea. Because we haven't found sites that old. Well, it also depends on the part of the country you're in. Sure. Because, you know, when I was um, studying California archaeology as an undergrad, one of the things I did not realize is the fact that um, San Francisco Bay wasn't a bay until about 4,000 years ago. Right. And so most of the oldest sites are basically underwater right now. Yeah. It was all filling in as the... as the uh, Yeah. Um, you know, as the ocean levels rose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. As we started coming out of the Ice Age and... Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of sites under San Francisco Bay. ton of them. There were whole planes out there. Yeah. You know, it was just people were living. Yeah, and now yeah. basically they're like eroded and gone. Yeah. Yeah. Know, obviously. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff near what would we, what we would call the current shorelines have probably been dredged out yeah. before we even knew we shouldn't be doing that and we should be checking first. But they were probably been dredged out to make room for other shipping lanes and, and that too. harbors and docks and stuff like that. So, Well, you got to fit yeah. in the super, oh, God. I wanted to say super tankers, but they're like, you know, the super large um, container ships. Yeah, huge container ships that go all the way to Stockton, yeah. Stockton, California through the system. Well, sometimes it depends. The ones the ones now that they have, I forgot, they were introducing them when my dad was still alive. So I was mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. The ones that can't go through the Panama Canal, they're so big. Man, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So I, I had another question because yeah. um, I mentioned that I had written a book and I mm. talked about the Field Archaeologist Survival Guide a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question was basically, um, you know, for somebody who hasn't read the book, she yeah. called in and she was just curious about it. What are like the three main things you need to know that's like a takeaway from the book about becoming an archaeologist? Like, you know, like if you want to be an archaeologist, what are the three things that are takeaways from the books? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> and I, I basically said, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what I said, but I'm, I, I said something to the effect of um, archaeology is not a nine to five job. Yeah. It's going to be any schedule, any time of the year. And Any you have place. to be okay with that. Any place, you have to be okay with that. That was the second one is travel. Yeah. You have to be willing to travel. Um, and then I think the third one was something about um, something about family and, uh, you know, really, really living where you're at and understanding that if you do have a family and you're always pining for them and wanting to go home, yeah. then this probably is going to be a really tough job for you. Yeah. You know? um, it's interesting you mentioned that because the person I'm replacing, that's what happened to her. <laughs> She basically had a, like a freak out or something about, yeah. you know, being always being away. Yeah. You know, well, it's understandable. It's human nature. Yeah. You know, I mean, like Lori on here, if she's still listening, you know, talking about being away from her family for eight months, I'm sure she got a chance to to get back occasionally. But um, whether she did or not, that's a long time to be away, you know, and I, I applaud people for being able to do that. But because I don't think I could, you know, I think mm-hmm. it'd be really tough. Um, and it, in fact, my wife and I, when we came to Reno and you know, she transitioned out of archaeology into another job just at about the time I was kind of staying in town more and doing yeah. different things where I was closer. And if I had stayed a straight shovel bum, there's probably not any way our relationship could have survived if I was out of town, you know, all the time during the field season. Why? And even then, well, it's just when you're with somebody, you want to be with somebody, you know? And even then, when I had those couple big projects, like the El Centro one you were on with me yeah. and then the China Lake one. I mean, that was from like April to February the next year where yeah, I was I only that. home every 10 day, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't even every 10 day when we were in El Centro. I didn't go home. No. 
You know, we met in San Diego one time. She <laughs> flew to San Diego and I drove over and we had a weekend there. Yeah. But aside from that, it was, you know, it can be tough. Mm. You know, it's, it's just tough. So, um, and then the final call I got in the radio show was from my dad. And my dad lives on the Oregon coast. And he said that he's always out walking on the ocean because he lives like two miles from the ocean yeah. or two minutes from the ocean. And uh, he's always going out there and walking. And he said, what do I do? If I see something that looks like an artifact or just something else, you know, what do I do if I find something? Take it home. And, yeah. Well, <laughs> I told him, I said, and I had mentioned this earlier in the show, I was basically talking about like the Great Basin, like you, you really should take a picture of something. You, and if you don't know how to do coordinates on your phone, at least pull up a map <clears throat> and take a screenshot yeah. and then send that information to whatever agency's land you're walking on, whether it's BLM. And if you don't know that, look up the state historic preservation officer for the state that you live in and contact them and just say, listen, I found some stuff. Who do I talk to? Yeah. And, uh, and I told him basically the same thing, but I said, it's a little different when you're talking about the ocean. I said, I said, if you find something that we would call a feature that is basically like something that is maybe you had a big storm event and removed a bunch of sand from the beach and maybe there was an old wreck there or a yeah. foundation or something like that, that could be a historic thing that people haven't seen in a long time. And you might want to contact somebody about that, but an artifact washes up on the beach. It's already out of context. You know, it's already out of the original place that it was in. That's true. And I would say take a picture before you pick it up, if you think it's something before you pick it up, just so we can have that. Maybe there was something else around it that yeah. is important. And if, if it does turn out to be something and you tell somebody about it, they can at least look at the picture and say, was it found with anything else that you didn't recognize as an artifact Yeah, or as being associated with it? But otherwise, you know, it's yours now. You know, pick it up, take it. I don't even know if that's legal. It depends on whose land the beach is on. You know, if you're on a state park True. over in Oregon and it's a state park beach. Yeah. You know, who owns what the ocean delivers up onto the shores of that park? You know, who owns it? So, I Oh, it depends. It probably does depend. And I don't have a strong enough knowledge of the local laws and stuff like that to, to tell you. True. Yeah. My God, not to go off on a slight tangent, but it does make me think of um, I forgot. I think there was a, a case that went all the way Supreme Court because this, you know, technically all beach land in California is um, owned by the public and you can yeah. access it. Yeah. And there was that, you know, there was that a-hole who was like trying to cut off access <laughs> to the beach and basically make it his own private beach. Sure. You know, and he lost. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he's like, well, people can just get through by boat, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, but it's like, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, ugh. anyway. I know it's uh it's crazy uh, and the really big thing about finding stuff and and dealing with it is there's no clear places to go to say that like I found something what do I do with it which is probably why people just default to well I don't want to leave it here so I'm going to put it in my pocket and take it home well because they think it's something precious and something valuable and they want to take it with them and if they leave it out there somebody else is going to have it you know that's just the common attitude and it's I, not a zero sum. I know. And and you're right. And the other thing I said during my show yesterday was basically, you know, one of the reasons why we shouldn't do that is because two reasons. One. Yeah. Really three reasons. Yeah. One, and probably the most important is it's not yours. It might not be somebody else's that's standing there, but if it's prehistoric, Native American, something like that, it's somebody else's ancestry, somebody else's history. It's important to them that the object not be disturbed, right? They yeah. They place importance on it. And that might not mean anything to you or me, but- you know, it means something to them. So we should respect that. The second thing is, uh, if you do pick something up and an archaeologist then comes through on an official survey and finds some other stuff there, but doesn't find the funny, the fun, pretty things that you picked up, it changes our evaluation of the site. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it changes what can be done to it. Suddenly it's like no longer eligible for any sort of protections. Suddenly there's bulldozers coming straight over the top of it. Yeah. You know, it's blown up for an open pit mine. Oh. Probably going to be anyway, but you know. Oh, that makes me more makes me wonder. Did you use the example of um that wallet you found as an example? Oh, I didn't actually. <laughs> I didn't. I'll talk about that in a second. Oh, good. Um, and then the third reason why you shouldn't pick something up is I I emphasize the fact that I try not to put an emphasis on things anymore when I'm talking to people. Somebody tells me what's the coolest thing I found, and we've mentioned this on this show before. But they say to me, "What's the coolest thing you found?" I try not to emphasize the coolest thing I found. I have certain things that I would probably say are really neat things that I found, but it's neat in the context of the place I was in, the time period it was found in, and stuff like that. What's the bigger story that the thing can tell, you know? And even if we're not thinking about that as archaeologists, like if you find a Clovis point, 
which if you're listening to this and you don't know what a Clovis point is, it's almost like the Holy Grail for archaeologists, even though it's not really the only the oldest thing anymore. Yeah. Um, or even something from that era, because I found something from that era. Yeah, you find a stem point or something from that era that is is really cool. The object itself, sure, we might say out loud, wow, this is a really cool thing. Oh. But I think internally, we're really saying, I found something from 14,000 years ago. You know, I found something from 12,000 years ago. And even if we're not saying it out loud, we're thinking, man, what was it like? You know, who left this here? What were they doing? What yeah. were they after? You know, what were the circumstances? That's what I'm thinking. And I want to try to articulate those stories rather than just say, you know, uh, I found this really cool thing and not really explain the reason behind it. Well, it's like, what's cooler, visiting Machu Picchu or finding like some little piece of stone that they <laughs> that they shaped? Right, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or is it more interesting to look at a, um, is it more interesting to look at a fragment of, a, you know, a mummy wrapping or to right. actually go to Egypt? Right. <laughs> you know. So the last thing I'll, I'll comment on is really has nothing to do with archaeology, which fits the thesis of this show. <laughs> uh, when Richie and I were walking back from a meetup um, Wednesday. on Wednesday, in the like pitch bar, pitch black on a sidewalk, I was actually kind of leaning forward or down a little bit because there's these bushes that nobody ever trims on that section of sidewalk. <laughs> and I happened to catch sort of just gleaming a little bit because it had shiny zippers, um, a little black pouch. And actually, the first thing I saw, thought was my wife had a, um, she used to have a set of headphones that came in a little case like that. Oh. And that's what I thought it was. She also had a little... Um, uh, external hard drive that came in a little case like that, like a little tiny passport, the, the Western Digital Passport. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I thought. And then I unzipped it and looked at it, and there was like a fat stack of money in there. Oh, really? And Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, this is somebody's wallet. And it was too cold to really go through it and yeah. look into it. I had my gloves on, so I just put it in my pocket, and I was like, I'll take a look at this when I get home. I got home. There was a driver's license. There was a credit card. There was a <laughs> library card, $160, a bank slip, where the balance was less than that, oh. and uh, a condom. So I was like, well, somebody's going out for a good time. <laughs> Actually, they're not anymore because they dropped their wallet on the way to that good time. Um, so I, I, did some, uh, I did some quick searching. There was no phone number. I, was, I went through the wallet looking for a phone number. Obviously, nobody leaves their own phone number in a wallet, but I thought maybe there's a business card or something. Yeah. But there wasn't. And uh, uh, so I looked up. I tried using the person's name and address to find them online. Yeah. And, uh, and their picture on the business card, I looked up, or on the driver's license, I looked him up on Facebook and uh, on Twitter, and I found somebody on Facebook who looked the same. Oddly enough, there were like eight people in Reno with the same name. Really? So I had to figure out, well, which one of these you know people could it be? And uh, so anyway, I was looking through there, and I, I sent this, it was a woman, I couldn't say that. Um, I sent her a message on Facebook when I dialed down which one I thought it was. Yeah. And the next morning... Uh, I swung by her apartment, which is on between here and there, between here and when I, where I live. You know, she's just like closer to downtown. Oh, oh, so it's not the place where it's not the same place you picked it up. It's at. not, not even close. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She must have just been out for a walk or something. Oh. So anyway, I swung by her apartment and I left a note on the door because I didn't want to leave the wallet there in case she doesn't live there anymore. Yeah. Right. So because there was money in it and it looked like it was a substantial amount of money for this person because if their bank balance was any indication, <laughs> they didn't have a lot left. So they pulled it out for bills or something. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't even know what, so I knocked on the apartment door. Nobody answered. I left a note and then my wife picked me up at the end of the day, Friday, and we were headed somewhere or Thursday. Yeah. And, uh, we swung back by there because I left my phone number and I left the address of my office. I said, I'll be here all day. Here's my phone number. Give yeah. me a call. I'll get you your wallet, you know, because I had it with me. Yeah. And we swung by there at like three o'clock in the afternoon. The note was gone. Oh, it was? Nobody was still in the apartment. I could, The windows were, there was no curtains, so they were open. Oh. And, uh, and I knocked on the door. Nobody was there. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I was like, I don't know what to do. So when I went to my Civil Air Patrol meeting Thursday night, I swung by the downtown police station on second and dropped it off there. Oh, good. That's what yeah. you're supposed to do. I know, but I thought- I thought I was going to do that anyway, but if I could get a hold of her before she canceled her credit cards and stuff, then that would be great. But now who knows how long it's going to take the police to contact her. She's probably going to cancel everything, long. get a new driver's license. Not that long. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. No, I feel I mean, bad for her though because no, it's mean, a lot of money. No, I mean, seriously, because um, it's a long story, but I was biking around during, oh shoot, um, not this year, but um, the uh, Art Town last yeah. year and it, my wallet fell out. And, you know, I went back and looked for it. But if someone had already picked it up, like, literally, I had biked off and, like, you know, I realized my wallet's not there. I circled back around and it's, like, already gone. I'm like, Jesus, that's fast. 
And, you know, but then the cops call me and they're like, yeah, you know, and they give it back to me. They were like a couple of blocks away. So I just turned it in. Oh, OK. Yeah. So like, you know, because obviously cops can like look you up by your driver's license and right. figure out all that stuff. Really well, easily. I'm curious as to whether she even lives there anymore, because why would she grab the note that I left in the door and then not call? It was her wallet. I would have called immediately. No, it's probably building management. Yeah. Who knows? Or something. Who knows? So anyway. Damn, uh, so dinner wasn't on her. <laughs> dinner wasn't on her, but it could be if she if they never find her for some reason. Hopefully she's okay and not like, you know, missing or something because I'll be the prime suspect probably turning in her wallet. <laughs> but uh, uh, they told me, I said, I asked a friend of mine who used to be a Reno um, police detective when I got to CAP. Oh. And I said, well, so what's the procedure? What are they going to do? And he's like, well, I'll try to contact her and, you know, they'll put in evidence and they'll inventory it and they'll try to get a hold of her. And I said, what if they can't get a hold of her? And he said, well, typically uh, the time frame varies because they forget about stuff. But uh, typically if they haven't picked it up in six months, yeah. they contact me again and oh, they good. give it back to me. Oh, good. Yeah. So I was like, well, worst case scenario, I can come out of it with 160 bucks six months from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a condom. I'll go out and have a great time. Yeah, apparently. So... All right. Well, I've got a, another busy night ahead, as I usually oh, do. Oh, same here. Yeah, a lot of podcast editing. Richie's getting ready for some some solid cold winter field work. <sighs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're you're in not like a crazy cold portion of California, but well, the last the, time I was in that area, the elevation. The last time I was in that area for a conference that we both went to, there was a lot of snow on the ground up in the yeah. hills. So, yeah, which is why it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously, like, this week, they sent the crew home, like, uh, a day or two early. Yeah. You know, so, supposedly, I'll be, be down there, but, you know, yeah, I might have enough off time and just come back. Yeah. Because I really want to hang out in, like, an Airbnb <laughs> yeah. by myself for, like, four days. I hear you. I hear you. So. Cool. All right, oh, man. Hang on. Well, sounds good. Um, uh, all right, there. Richie's putting up our transition screen, so uh, thanks a lot. Again, I'll mention WildNote, WildNote.com, WildNoteApp.com. Uh, and knvc.org if you want to hear me yeah. on the radio. And, and really, I don't want you to hear me on the radio. I want you to call in and ask me a question. You know, call in or text in or message in or something. KNVC's got a Twitter feed. They're putting information out there. You can tweet me at ArcheoWebby, A-R-C-H-E-O, Webby, W-E-B-B-Y, um, or ArcPodNet, and, uh, yeah. and go from there. And then uh, APN arcbonnet.com forward slash members to help support us. And then, of course, you can see more information. Oh, and a happy archaeology fun time. And hopefully very soon. I, I forget if it's happyarchaeologyfuntime.com or what, but it's going to, I'll figure that out. We'll definitely put that out and we'll have to update this slide to let people know as well. Oh, my God. By yeah. the way, did you know that, was it Spotify or Pandora this week that just, um, it's going to be releasing podcast on their feed? Pandora. Oh, Spotify's good. been doing it. Oh, they have? Yeah. My, I didn't know that. A couple of my clients are both on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Wait, is that through Lipson? Yeah, through Libsyn. Interesting. Which is, which is one of only a few ways you can get on Spotify podcasts. I've tried getting the APN on there. I've heard it's opened up a little more, and I should probably try again. Yeah. But they weren't they weren't really letting other people in if you weren't on Libsyn or Blueberry. Oh, why not? So, well, it's just because they had agreements with them, and it was hard to do it otherwise. So, uh. anyway, thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us. Um, you know, I think we've lost most of our listeners at this point. We have? <laughs> when I looked five minutes ago, we still had four, and now it says one. So, um <laughs> Anyway, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be looking at uh, lining up some guests for the radio show. Neat. So if you want to interact with the public and call in on a regular phone line, it's super easy. You don't have to record anything. Um, we can get you on the radio show and then have people ask questions oh. at noon on a Friday. My God. You know, oh my God. There's, um, we can talk about this out the air, but one idea I just had right now. Yeah. Metal detectorist. Archaeologist versus metal detectorist. I know. That's a big subject. <laughs> Chuck says late. I'm not sure what's late. Probably we're late. I don't know. Always. Yeah. All right, guys. All Thanks right. a lot. Yeah. And we'll see you again. Yay. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. 
Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep learning, keep discovering new things, and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 